We'd be hard-pressed to think of one family who's not been touched or affected by the drug crisis, overdoses, hospitalizations, and deaths. Our guest went through two incidents with her children, and she's here to tell her story on the Law Enforcement Today show. We're all over social media. Be sure to like and follow our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. We're on Twitter. Follow us at LET Radio Show Podcast. And on Instagram, look for LET Radio Show Podcast. Of course, don't forget our website, letradioshow.com. See you there. Joining us from Colorado, we have Pamela Brinker on the phone. Pamela is a mom of two, and every family I know, pretty much everyone we've heard of somewhere along the way, has had an issue where they've been affected by the drug problem, whether it be opiates, doesn't matter what it is, overdoses, hospitalizations, mental health issues, and sadly, deaths as well. She's also author of the book, Conscious Bravery, Caring for Someone with Addiction. Her website is PamelaBrinker.com. Pamela, thanks so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show and talking about an issue that is very prominent. It's happening in a lot of places, but people are still sweeping under the rug and not talking about it. Mm-hmm. It's such a pleasure to be here. And yes, that's exactly what's happening. And I, I don't know, and I don't want to sound overly dramatic. I don't know of a family who, who whether it's a distant relative or a direct relative that has been impacted directly by drug problems in the United States nowadays. And I, don't quote me on this. I think in 2022, there were over 104,000 people died from fentanyl overdoses. And that's the United States alone. That's just one year. Uh, And stuff I was dealing with as a policeman in the 1980s with heroin is still an issue. Uh, Cocaine is still an issue. Methamphetamine is still an issue. All that stuff is still an issue. And the thing is, people don't seem to really want to talk about it. And I'm really grateful that you are talking as a parent. Uh, Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles that got kids all need to be concerned. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad to speak my, uh, from my personal experience. And that's what I feel help, how we can help one another is actually talking about what's happening to us and what we're doing about it. You've got two sons, correct? Yes. And They're in their 20s now, but they were teenagers. All right. Uh, how are they doing now? Predicted. Now they're great. That's what I'm knocking on. And they're doing well. So they're both... Uh, clean, um, sober as of today, but that's one of the things that it took me a long time to realize that relapse is part of the struggle. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I've been sober almost 31 years now. Never had a relapse. Right. That's a term oh. that medical professionals came up with and, and, and they convinced people that it's, it's part of the equation. It doesn't have to be. It, you're absolutely right. It doesn't have to be, but for Many, many people that I've treated it. Yeah. It has been. And unfortunately, so here, here's what happens, Pamela. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, that becomes, in my opinion, an excuse for people to go out there and try one more time. And if they've been with opiates in particular, and they've been off them for a while, and their tolerance is gone, and they get something with a little bit of fentanyl in it, it kills them. And, and they die yeah. in dramatic fashion. So mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not one to advocate for the term relapse. And when people talk about that in a clinical sense, I will argue all day long, all day long. Love that. And I don't love the word relapse either. I just use it because that's what everyone else identifies it with. Maybe the best way to, to talk about it is to put it on a continuum and call it setbacks, um, 
realigning, you know, I'm sure hats off to you, by the way, that's a huge accomplishment to be sober. 31 years. Well, I was forced into it. I was forced into it like many people. And for me, I don't talk about it in this show because it's it's not about my story. But for me to have a happy, productive life, that's a requirement. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and I love that you're saying that, John Jay, because a happy, productive life is what we all want. And that's what I wanted, but that's where the challenge was. My sons were having humongous troubles, and so it was hard to find happiness at times. But I guard my happiness with my life now, that's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, So when we talk about your story with your sons, how old were they? Uh, There's two two sons and two incidents. Uh, Which one do you want to start with, the oldest one? Yeah, I'll start with the oldest one. And How they old are was in he their twenties. He had a problem when when it became a real emergency for you. He was sixteen, and the reason why it became a problem, their stepdad, my then husband, was diagnosed with an incurable brain cancer twelve years ago and died within just a little over a year. And so both of my sons in their pain and grief turned not just to me, but um also to one another and to drugs and alcohol as kind of a an answer to their pain. So anyway, my, my son was 16 when my oldest was 16 when he first started using stimulants, uh, doubling his doses. Um, he had only shortly after my husband passed gotten a prescription for something like Adderall. Most people are familiar with Adderall as a treatment for ADD or ADHD, but he'd gotten something like that. But anyway, um, the incident... <laughs> It happened a year ago in just just around November when he got, again, two prescriptions for stimulants, very much like Adderall for the ADD he was in college. And he took a month's supply in what looked like to me about five days because I found the few remaining ones in his apartment bathroom. So he had... He had texted me that morning, uh, John, and then had called me and left a really weird voicemail. So I hopped in the car and drove the 100 miles to get to where he lived. On the way, I called someone from uh, the sober living house where he'd be living, and I said, I need I need some help. I'm not going to be able to do this on my own, I'm pretty sure. So he met me over there, and long story short, my son was absolutely had psychotic symptoms. He was not making sense. He was talking super, super fast. He was beyond agitated. He was furious and yelling when we arrived. Um, He came outside and continued yelling. And some two people, I guess, from the apartment complex called the police. And it was just horrific, really. It was under 30 degrees, and he was outside shirtless, barefooted, and in thin pants. And um, the t- several teams got there in short order. The crisis response team, uh, paramedics. The crisis response team, one of them, I guess the team lead came over and spoke with me, and I knew I had about probably 45 seconds to say what had happened. And so I told her the meds that I'd found in his bathroom cabinet and um, that he had a history of drug use. And that he was not normally psychotic, even though he had mental health issues like anxiety and and ADHD, ADD. So anyway, she and some people talked to him really calmly. They got him sitting. More more response, first responders kept arriving. My friend from the sober living house said he'd never seen anything like it. He'd never seen any group of responders be as calm as they were, as kind as they were, as assertive. 
and basically they had him sitting but put a blood pressure cuff on him. And I stayed far away because I wanted them to do their job. And I just watched the situation, but I saw it starting to escalate when I saw my son start to get more and more agitated. Finally, they just grabbed him, put him in a gurney, and uh, took him to the hospital. And I, I ran over and talked to one of the remaining people, and they said they're afraid he's going to have a heart attack. Mm-hmm. And so um, I followed over to the hospital. They had sedated him. Uh, he stayed there overnight. Anyway, it was for for you and for our listeners. But let's what take a break was, on that note. We're going to take a short sure. break. We're talking with Pamela Brinker. We return. We're going to talk more about this potentially deadly drug incident with one of her sons and much more. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. Miss an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show Returning Conversation with Pamela Brinker. And she is a mother of two sons, both of whom developed problems with drugs and overdoses and mental health problems and, and emergencies. And this is an issue that has been catastrophic for so many families across the country. She's also authored the book, Conscious Bravery, Caring for Someone with Addiction, and her website is PamelaBrinker.com. Pamela, before we went to break, you're talking about the episode with your son, and you drove the first son. You drove about 100 miles, and he was psychotic, as you said. And uh, I'm wondering, is that stimulants or uppers, as you call them? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, he was on two prescribed stimulants. Turns out I found out later he'd also been using crystal meth that he got yeah. down the street. And and here's the reason so why. When, when people are overdosing or have too much of a stimulant in them, they pose different threat levels than someone who's an opiate user, for example. Uh, and mm-hmm. opiates, usually they nod out and there's not a whole lot of violence from them. People with, and I'll, I'll equate it with PCP, cocaine, crack cocaine, some of the worst battles I've ever been in my police career were, were people with that. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, I'm glad it didn't come to that, or did it? It did not. And, you know, I have to thank God and my son, too, for, and that team, really, I have to thank the crisis response team. And I'm a person that I've, I've only seen police do great work, really. And unfortunately, we've been, we've been involved with the police a lot, and it's usually been the crisis response teams who are trained with mental, in mental health um, and addiction awareness, and they're savvy to, to like, yeah, as I, you I gotta, said. I've got to take a little bit of an exception to that, because we were doing that in the 1980s. 
And we yeah, had that kind of training. Deal. We just didn't have the the, the, the the words. Every street cop was trained in that. And we always Excellent. worked in things that are so commonplace and used nowadays. De-escalation, we did every day. Community mm-hmm. placing was called yeah. regular policing before it became a thing. Um, and critical response teams, I'm not knocking them. I'm not knocking specialized teams. And I'm not saying they don't. there's not a need for them. But it, it's almost as if... It's to say all the times we talk people off the edge, somehow or another, was it just luck? I, I, I don't know. We were doing it for years. No, I'm so glad you're clarifying that, actually. Yes, no, police, I think, know what they're doing. It, it's just that this particular team really took exception to um, their skill, I would say, and the, the timing. You know, they really they threw my son in the gurney, I think, pretty much just in the nick of time. So he awoke the next morning in the hospital and thankfully very humbly said i need to go back to treatment i really want to live and he was he saw the terror in my eyes and knew he needed support and some people can do it on their own and a lot of people have to do it because they're required but he chose it um anyway so that well, that's I'm glad you said that and well. here's the, the, my my experience <laughs> people that have a, a certain threshold uh, where they get to a point where there be drugs or alcohol or whatever or combinations of both. And it doesn't really matter why. But once they cross that line, almost all of them need help somewhere along the way and support for the rest of their lives to live the happy, productive, purposeful lives. There are people, and I knew plenty of them, that drank too much and they were fine. They put it down, they got married, they went to church, whatever it was, and they were fine. Uh, and many other people that were not. The one thing, before we go more into your story, is I really want people to understand this. If you have a loved one who has a drug and or alcohol problem, and especially if it's a first responder, military veteran, or a police officer, has a drug or alcohol problem, or post-traumatic stress, whatever it might be, if they're breathing in and out, there's hope for them. There's hope. Uh, mm. the, the hope ends is when, when their life ends. And that's when the struggle ends. So your son, he said he needed help. And did you help him along the way to, to, to point him to people to help? Or what did you do? Absolutely. And I love what you said about there's always hope. Because that's what I believe, that love is the fiercest force and hope uh, outlasts any fear. And so I write about that. But yes, um, my sons both had a predisposition. You know, a lot of our listeners are going to know this. They had genetics. Their grandfather was an alcoholic and a compulsive gambler. Their age of use was really young. My youngest started using at 13. My older one at 16. They both had ADD and ADHD. But there's there's no rhyme or reason. No one really knows what causes addiction. And so there's not a one-size-fits-all addiction you know, approach to treating substance use issues or mental health. I, we had to figure out on our own what worked for them, what worked for our family. And for our, our family, and maybe not every family is like this, but it was a system issue. It wasn't just them. They didn't want to have an addiction. They didn't start using stimulants when their stepfather passed and they were absolutely hitting the ground with grief. You know, they didn't want to have mental health challenges. Nobody signs up for that and says, yeah, I really want to be addicted to alcohol and stimulants or heroin. You know, people try it because they want the source. They want an answer to their pain. And that's what my sons did. But it was traumatic for me too. And that's another thing I wanted to talk with you about, John Jay, is that a lot of people don't understand and don't realize they're experiencing vicarious trauma. Like trauma was really the root of what 
their issues were that one of my sons has been raped, assaulted, strangled, knifed, um, uh, held at gunpoint by a dealer. He has tremendous trauma. He's working through it. He knows it. He didn't know it for a long time, though. And so there I was, the mom, going, I would really like you to get help. I'd really like you to talk to somebody besides me. I'm not your therapist. I don't, I don't want to be. I'm your mom. You know, but no, I'm fine. I just want to forget about it, was his response. And so, <clears throat> pardon me, you were talking about what what we want our listeners to know, and I would love people to know, ask for help. Ask for help for yourself. That's what I had to do. I couldn't do it on my own. I couldn't resource from within, and I'm a super strong person. <laughs> but at any rate, you asked a different question, and I kind of No, and, and, and before we get into your second son's story, I, I want to make sure that we give credit where credit's due. You as a parent, you do one thing, and we'll talk more about your role in a, in a moment and what you've done. But secondly, he has to take a lot of responsibility for seeing through and sticking with this. And mm-hmm. uh, regardless of what got him there, he wound up being there, and it became a life or death situation. So I applaud him for his recovery. And you know, we could always make yeah. situations worse. Uh, Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Life is really hard on everybody. Uh, so True. when these really bad things happen and someone is a recovering addict or alcoholic or both and has mental health issues and they don't find a way to get some resiliency and and I hate to say bounce with the punches, quite often the results mm-hmm. can be fatal. And it has a tremendous mm-hmm. impact on everybody. So true. And and you're right. They both took accountability at varying levels. But you asked how much I've helped them. I helped them too much in the beginning. And that's a mistake that no. I got a lot of us have I'm being made a little snarky because... right now. No. Look, we're you talking know? with Pamela Brinker. That's and love. Pamela is a, a mom of two sons. And uh, both of her sons have mental health issues and drug or alcohol issues and have been sober and recovering for a while. She's authored the book, Conscious Bravery, Caring for Someone with Addiction, and also her website is PamelaBrinker.com. When we return on the Law Enforcement Today show, we're going to talk about the incident, the kind of cataclysmic incident with her second son, and then what drove her to do what she's doing today. This is the Law Enforcement Today show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I have some exciting news to share with you. You are going to love my Your Diet Do-Over Do-It-Yourself course on HarmonyWithFood.com, which means you could do everything at your own pace. I put my heart and soul into this course. Have you been on every diet there is only to gain the weight back? If your relationship with food is, well, not that good, you should purchase the Your Diet Do-Over course. Go over to harnwithfood.com, click the Your Diet Do-Over tab, and get started today. One of the most frequent questions we see is, where can I find great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Yes, we do. So we decided to start our own podcast network on Law Enforcement Today. That's right. You can find top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and our free app. Go to letradioshow.com. Click the Be Heard tab, and there you'll find the LET Podcast Network. We'll be adding more podcasts from first responders and more. Again, to find the Law Enforcement Today Podcast Network, go to letradioshow.com and click on the Be Heard in our menu. Or download our free app today at letradioshow.com. 
This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Return our conversation with Pamela Brinker. Contact us from Colorado. She's a mom of two, which, by the way, my mother, uh, she's got me and four younger sisters, and I don't know how she's done it. Uh, and every day was drama and trauma every day of our lives. Uh, her two sons both had mental health issues and drug or alcohol problems, overdoses. And she's the author of the book, Conscious Bravery, Caring for Someone with Addiction. And her website is PamelaBrinker.com. Pamela, I'm so glad you're talking about this and willing to because we said it earlier. I don't know of a family who's not been affected one way or another with a drug or alcohol problem across the United States. And there's overdose deaths, there's overdoses, there's tremendous health problems, uh, hospitalizations, you name it. Uh, so I appreciate you coming on and, and telling your story from your perspective. Your, your first son, we talked about what happened with him, and we'll get back to that at the end. What happened with the second son? You had a problem with him as well. Mm-hmm. Well, he had tremendous challenges of varying sorts, but around, I'd say eight years ago, um, he went, we all went to bed, you know, 10 o'clock, 1030. And my, this is my youngest son. He was up after I'd gone to bed and at around 1230, maybe in the morning, I was awakened by a knock on my bedroom door and it was the police saying who they were and I woke up there was a knock at your bedroom door and it was the police they were inside your house my bedroom door that's never good that's never good it was horrific I I had never had that happen to me I'd never heard of anyone to whom that had happened anyway got up you know they said um, someone called 911 from your home and and it was your son and so I ran down the stairs my son was there he was sitting on the sofa crying and he said that he had called 911 and he was clearly on some sort of drug and I sat down next to him and tried to tenderly but assertively say what happened what why did you call what what's going on and he said I was afraid I was going to kill our cat and I just paused and listened he said I had that knife out and I was going to kill Socrates our cat I said, well, I'm really glad you called. Anyway, they helped us through that situation, the police, and helped me get calm because I was the one calm in the moment but began having a lot of panic and anxiety as we spoke. But anyway, the situation went well, and we got him to the hospital because, you know, grace happened, I guess. He called for help, and... um, didn't hurt anyone in the interim, and people came on short order. But um, was this a, a, a drug related situation? Yes, well? yes. I gotta we say, we never that, knew exactly what call, all took. Some there's a saying I've heard many times God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Uh, a moment of grace, mm-hmm. you, I think you use the term, uh, a moment mm-hmm. of clarity, whatever it is, just thank God it happened. Absolutely. So he was in the hospital. He went to treatment shortly after that. And then I started really doing fierce work on myself because I I thought this is not clearly going away just because I'm wishing it away. And I've got to use all the tools and resources that I've ever taught my clients because I'm a psychotherapist and a a workshop leader. Wait a second. (laughs) Kind of like we, we can't, we can't just glaze it over. You're a psychotherapist at that point and you're telling people how they should handle these situations. And did you ever in your life think you'd be in that situation yourself? 
I never did. I was an athlete and a musician, and I didn't even drink alcohol till I was 40. I've never used drugs. So this was all new language to me to understand drugs. Now, you I never were the wanted teacher. it in my family, did, tried did to prevent you, it. Did you find it difficult <laughs> to go from treat teacher to the student? You got it. <laughs> oh, boy. Now I can be tongue-in-cheek. Yes, I wanted to come in and just be the therapist and the teacher to my sons that I had been to my clients. And who wants that? Nobody wants a mom who's going to boss them around and tell them what they know, you know, what she knows. So I had to step way back and, and do what people call loving detachment. And I had to work on myself. And I had to get to know myself and get to know the part of me that was afraid and didn't know what to do and had anxiety that I didn't want and um, and learn how to be the tall tree that could handle and learn how to manage my panic and even depression sometimes. Sometimes there were days I said, I can't do this. But then I would realize I don't have the luxury of despair. I'm, I've got to be a mom that can stand tall. You sound like my, my mother there. When you say that, <laughs> uh, my dad passed away many years ago from lung cancer. Uh, and uh, mm. she always said, you know, he was in the Navy. He was gone a lot uh, on med cruises, those sorts of things. And she ruled the roost. But she always said, I don't have a choice. I'm the mom. I have to do these sort of things. If I don't feel good, if I feel bad, if my back is hurting. She'd love to tell a story about when I was a baby, about six months old. No. Actually, like uh, 11 months older, my sister Mary Helen was born, and my mom had to crawl around because she couldn't walk. But she said, mm. I'm the mother. I didn't have a choice. Mm. These these kids needed <laughs> me. What, what are you going to do? You can't just fold up camp and say, that's it. I give. I'm uncle. I'm done. Right. Right. It's so true. I love your mom. <laughs> I oh, love she's, your she's a trooper. She's a, tr- she's a tough lady. I tell people all the time, and we'll get back to your story in a moment. I have never been hit harder in my life than by my mom. Um, and I'm not mm. saying that I've had brawls with killers and all kinds of stuff as a police officer, and none of them could pack a punch like she did. So your son had this moment of clarity. He called for help. And mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of fast forward because I think the real magic is going to be in you and your transformation he he went for help he got help is he doing okay now yes he's doing okay now absolutely he actually became a peer recovery coach for a short period of time but but they're both doing okay now and they want to help other people and hats off to both of them because that's right you know, no parent wants to become like we, people throw out the word codependent. I, I don't love that word because I don't think everyone is. We all just want to help and we do our best to do that. And it turns out sometimes we manage or overmanage. I overmanage. I overenabled. But anyway, I try to try to be really aware now. I like, that's why I like the word conscious. I try to be conscious now. And I, whether or not they continue to succeed, John Jay, I've got to. Right. I cannot control them. You know, the three C's. I can't, I didn't cause it. I can't control it. I can't cure it. That and sounds so a little bit like just... Al-Anon to me. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's used by Al-Anon and treatment center. It's, yeah. it's a really wise And it's a great thing. Uh, again, one of the key things is for those, we know people that are affected. And they live with alcoholics, they live with drug addicts or whatever, and and their life is like in a blender, up and down, up and down, and out of control. And the the trick is, how do I have a happy life in spite of? Um, And 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 I'm a father of two daughters. Even though they're in their 30s now, they're both really doing very well. I went through that period of time where I worried about them as well, and had those talks Mm -hmm. with them, and said, hey, 
I think the term you used before was it runs in the families. I'm paraphrasing. I come from Irish immigrants, and our family has had issues for a very long time with alcoholism. And for me to think, or for my daughters to think, that they're somehow immune is something that we've got to have the frank conversation about. Brilliant. And I love that because we've got to teach not just our own families, but our friends and neighbors and people we love to to look at our histories and look at our predispositions. Not that everybody who has a genetic predisposition no. is going to turn out of, with an alcohol uh, problem. My sisters, a lot more, of them never drank. vulnerable. Yeah, a, a lot mm-hmm. of my sisters never drank, and uh, we, sure. we could talk about that at length. What I really want to talk about is when we can return, mm-hmm. I promise you, we're going to talk about Pamela's journey from being a mom overcoming the issues she had to deal with and what she does about it today. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to turn to our conversation with Pamela Brinker in just a few moments. Don't go anywhere. I promise you. We'll be right back. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. I'm John J. Wiley. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Return to conversation with Pamela Brinker, mother of two, and so much more. Her two sons both had drug issues, mental health issues. Both are sober in recovery and doing well. She talked about those incidents earlier. She wrote the book, Conscious Bravery, Caring for Someone with Addiction. And her website's PamelaBrinker.com. And I'm going to say this again, and it's not being overly dramatic. I can't think of a family member right now that has not been affected in the United States by drug or alcohol problems. And so many people in our prisons, we've got a certain segment of our population, prison population, that are hardcore criminals. They're a small minority. we got a lot of people wouldn't be there if it wasn't for drug or alcohol. And I'm not saying they're not responsible for what they do. I'm just saying that's the reality. And then we have a, a segment that had 10 bad minutes in her life and made a bad choice. So having said that, I'm so glad your sons are on the right path and doing well. My concern is, and I think where a lot of people don't get to hear about, is you went through a journey and a transformation as well, didn't you? Mm-hmm. And I had been an athlete. I'd been a triathlete. I'd, I'd known how to work harder to make things better. But that didn't work out for me with my sons and their challenges. I had to learn how to relax and how to pause and breathe consciously to handle things and to, to change my, um, my lit up autonomic nervous system, you know, when I was in a panic mode. And so I really have had to do diligent work. And yet I had been a vibrantly happy person for most of my life. You know, most of my friends say, you know, you're, you're really joyous. Even one of my friends gave me a little plate that says joyous. And, but I wanted to return to that. But, but I realized after a couple of years of doing therapy and yoga and meditation and still hiking and biking and so forth, that I couldn't return to who I'd been before. I had to to basically transform and become someone different, a, a solid mom who understood the dangers of the world and of addiction and got more savvy. I got more educated. I read everything under the sun about substance use issues and mental health issues and have attended all different kinds of groups, NAMI changes. They're all great. And got a mentor for myself and did my work in therapy and continue to. But really what, what I would say I 
have to believe is that, like you said earlier, there's always hope. And so I wake up and I don't put my feet on the floor until I can say a couple of things that give me gratitude. You know, like I've got a roof over my head. You can pretty much always be thankful for that. I'm always thankful that I have food. I'm thankful that my sons are alive. And even I've I've been thankful for that even when they've been homeless. They've chosen homelessness a few times because they didn't want to go to treatment or be sober or live in a sober house. And they didn't want to live with me and receive help. And so I've had to let go so much and learn how to find my own joy and happiness. And, And I know it does not depend on my situation or their situation. It doesn't depend on their circumstances or my own. It depends on who I am inwardly and my connection with I call I call it the beloved. Some people call it God, the divine, the infinite. But I have to have a connection with something greater that I resource from all the time. And so I pray a lot. I send good energy to myself, to others. I start with myself because if I don't have it inside of me, I can't give it. Yeah. No, so, you can't yeah, give away what you don't have. I, I got to yep. say this. I, I, I'm not... One who's a preacher. I'm not a Pentecostal. I, I'm not an evangelist, but I pray daily and I meditate and I do a lot of things you talk about. Why? Because it works for me. And quite often it's praying in the car uh, because mm-hmm. that way I know I'm getting it in. I'm getting it done. Here's one thing. I want to go back to our conversation because you, you were a therapist and you're like, okay, I should know how to handle this. And I thought immediately of my situation and a situation for a lot of police and first responders and military. I couldn't solve my own problems using the problem. I couldn't figure out a way to fix my own life, even though I did that with other people's. And I found it very frustrating. The more I tried, the more effort I did, the more willpower I did, the worse it got. Absolutely. The same was true for me. So I had to learn what I call assertive surrender. You know, and um, most people are familiar with the 12 steps. The first one is about realizing I'm sort of powerless. Well, who wants to admit we're powerless? It's actually a really strong thing to say, I don't have control over this thing, at least not complete control. I do have control over what I do every day. So I love that you pray in the car. Good for you. I wrote an article called Meditate Wherever You Go. Yeah. And I I do it. I'll do yoga in the parking lot. That's another blog I wrote. Well, yoga you're better than me because I don't do yoga anywhere. <laughs> One of the things, I got to say this, my meditation has really not expanded more in 30 plus years, has not expanded more than not thinking and trying to keep my mind clear. And Mm -hmm. my wife, who I call the boss, uh, like we're on a long drive, she'll go, what are you thinking? And I I have to make up stuff because I really spend a lot of time not thinking at all. And it's wonderful. Nice. Good for you. I think you're rare. Most of the clients I've had and people at my workshop say that their minds are just buzzing with, you know, like five different thoughts at once or different options or they're ruminating over the past or Uh fixating on the future. And so you learn something that I'm still trying to learn, but I, I do have moments of it where there is calm and clear mindedness. And I think it's when I'm most connected to my heart, you know, to love and to, I anchor down and I feel the ground underneath me. And like I said, I'm connected to something greater than myself. And a lot of people, I don't think have that groundedness that you're talking about, but they want it. And that's what I believe is, is conscious bravery, having some ability to be resilient and to see options and to do what's needed in any given moment. 
but it doesn't just come with the wave of a wand. It has to be cultivated. We have to work at it. Uh, all for the me, time. It's, it's a lot of work. And I always have to develop fire drills in my head. When this starts to happen, I need to do this. Uh, and, and otherwise, there's old things I was taught a long time ago. You want to change a thought, you got to move a muscle. You got to do something physical. There's a lot of things yes. I had to learn to do. And, and by the way, I don't want anyone to think that, oh, I've arrived or somehow I think I've arrived. I'm not. I still do those things every day. It just takes a whole lot less effort than in the beginning. And, and the results are phenomenal. One of the things for me, Pamela, and I, I got to ask you this, is I found mm-hmm. a tremendous purpose by putting my pain in my past to try to help other people. In particular, using this as a platform, the radio show, for other people to store, tell their stories. Is your pain, your, part of your passion and your mission, what drives you today? Absolutely. That's why I wrote the book. So you're asking how I got to this place. I found hope. And I got in my body, like you're saying, I, instead of just floating above my life, I got grounded and I live in my body and I do somatic things like go for walks and get exercise and move and, you know, breathe consciously. And so I started writing about all the things that not only had I taught my clients, but I had modified for myself that I knew worked and I was teaching my new clients and watching them grow and change in just, you know, days and weeks. So some of the things I teach in my book, Conscious Bravery, can be done just today on short order. They can be done in a minute or two, breathing consciously, learning to make friends with difficult feelings like shame and guilt and use them for motivation to change, things like that, mm-hmm. asking for help. How do you do it? You know, you have to, like you said, set, I love that, set an alarm clock or what did you say? Fire um, drills. Fire drill do something. in your yeah. head. <laughs> so I put a fire drill in my head before I get to a 10 on the continuum. So my fire drill goes off at a three. And when I'm starting to feel a little anxious, I either journal or go for a walk or I'll call a friend or text a friend. And I'm real and honest. I haven't got it together either, but I'm so, so, so much better than I was years ago. And I'm so if so I call a friend. I'm glad to hear I that. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad to hear that you, you, you're not one of these people that arrived, but you're doing a whole lot better than you were. The name of your book is Conscious Bravery, Caring for Someone with Addiction. Uh, you have a web presence where people get more information as well. Tell us about that. I have a website, PamelaBrinker.com. I've written, I don't know, 35 blogs on there. There are testimonials from my clients. There's some really hopeful tips. Um, you can go online and sign up for my email. Um, I have a Bravery Bite, B-I-T-E, that goes out twice a month. It's just free. I'm just here to help people. That's part of my mission is I want to see people get better. I want to see us break the stigma as a group collectively. I can't do it on my own. And so um, you can go on my website. You can buy my book there. It's really inexpensive right now because it was a bestseller in May and Amazon reduce the price because they overstocked. So it's like around $3 right now. If you go to amazon.com and look up conscious bravery, Pamela Brinker, I, I narrated it on audible and I have a YouTube channel too, John Jay. And, um, it has little two minute shorts that hopefully could be helpful to anyone. Pamela, I'm really so appreciative that you came and told your story very much needed. And please again, tell your sons, I said, thank you. Well done. Mm, thank you so much. I will tell them that. And it's just a joy talking with you. And it's really a pleasure and an honor to be here with you and your listeners. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. 
The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.